and welcome to the Tapping Up podcast with myself, Daryl, and as always, Ian. We've got a very special episode this week because uh, UFC is returning to England. It's officially fight week, and as we're actually going to it, we're dedicating the entire MMA portion of this episode to previewing UFC 286. Uh, it's come around incredibly quick, hasn't it? Been quite um, placid, I would say, this week, given the the the, the it's gravity, an interesting description. the gravity of um, the card and the fact that we're going. Um, I think you've been quite placid. Um, I've, I've been excited for it. You've been I'm, talking I'm, about your sleep cocktails from Rogan, and um, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, I think it's one of those when we get into the cage and or get into the arena. We're going to we're cage. cage um, it will build. That's what you tend to find from my, my previous experiences at UFC. And I've been to one at the area two before. Early prelims, a lot of people, particularly the the better paid seats, people don't give a fuck. They won't. It'll be us in the in the the bleachers that are the real fans that are there for the whole card. But come sort of seven eight o'clock, it'll be filled, and the excitement will build. It'll be, I'm sure, it'll be an amazing atmosphere for the first ever title defense by an English fighter in England. I mean, we'll probably be bankrupt by the time we get into the arena, judging by the fact that. You said pints were near ten quid in London. That'd be fun. Yeah, I am probably pay I'm sure last time was especially you like in your, your craft ales and that kind of nonsense. Carlin. I fancy Carlin now, if that's the And uh, the way they definitely won't do craft ales in the fucking O two. That'll be like yeah, Carlsberg. So it seems to Carlsberg or Foster's always seems to be the default in shitty arenas, doesn't it? It's Beck's. Beck's seems to be a bit more popular now, which is horrible. Oh, I don't mind Beck's. Beck's no. is definitely higher quality than Foster's or Carlsberg. It's all on the same. It just tastes like piss. Beck's usually only getting bottles, though. Don't you? Don't you usually get pints of Beck's? No, you get you get pints. Oh. They do it in um, uh, Leeds First Direct Arena. It was Beck's and I'll be honest. I think I ended up going on to. It's not dark fruits. Or it dark fruit. One cider. of the yeah, one of the because it's like pop in it basically. Can't drink cider. Easier to drink when it's later on at night and you're flagging. I'm gonna get some Pro Plus definitely. I need to order that actually. <laughs> but at the end of this uh, recording, I refuse this. to let you take some Pro Plus. You're not a fucking 19 year old student of sociology it... staying up for an exam. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? What the it, fuck? It worked literally without any sort of hitches at university. So I take it out. I panicked because people expressos. thought I'd like. Ease in my back pocket and stuff when I was pulling it out, and I used to. You're not that cool. Them, yeah, <laughs> if only. Um, so his intention uh, is obviously to go and see the full card. Uh, so see the early prelims, the later prelims, and of course the main card. Uh, the entire card is stacked. So what we're planning on doing in this particular episode is going through the main card, and then obviously we've got some special honourable mentions at the end. Is it stacked? Well, I feel like you've written yourself a little bit of a script there, and you've got there's got two fights that we really want to see. I won't call that stacked. I had written it. Chat GTP. <laughs> but, um, no, genuine point. Would you would you call that? A, I mean, we're fans. Would you would you call that a stack card? So anyway, straight on to. <laughs> it's all right, isn't it? It's my first it's, it's, big it, event. It, it, put it this way: it's down. definitely more stacked than Cage Steel. Disagree, uh, but I think. I'd say, I'm not being too harsh here, there's three fights that I would say really excite me. And we'll obviously come on to these when we go through it, but I don't, th- there's far more stacked cards than, than this, I think. I feel we'll be bit, a bit undersold, if I'm honest with you. Well, I'm still excited for it anyway. So, um, But we'll we'll get into it. So the first fight on the main card, a fight that I'm quite looking forward to, um, I think definitely up there in sort of the top three fights of the night, 
Uh, we've got Marvin Vittori versus Roman Delitz. Uh, middleweight bout. Um, it it's a bit of a, a difference in styles here, and it's one that I can't call. And obviously, we'll come on to the predictions when we, we're speaking to them uh, about them, and we get to the end of it. But do you see this going in one particular way, or is this a fifty-fifty-five view? Delitz is a man with making moves quickly. So, um, rank number nine. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see in the UFC rankings with a 12 and 1 record. I was quite impressed when I did a little bit of homework on him that he's fought, he started his career at heavyweight. He's fought heavyweight, light, uh, heavyweight, and now in the middleweight. Very good, solid prospect. I think we did actually mention him once before because he was a pro goalkeeper. We still can't find who he was allegedly a pro goalkeeper for. I can't it's anyway. not online. It's definitely not online. Um, but he didn't start training um, grappling. I think he started with Sambo and BJJ at 20. He didn't start training MMA till he was 28. He's now 34. So he's he's a man in a hurry. He's on that peak of, or maybe the downside of a, a peak of his career. Uh, Vittori, um, decent record, ranked four in four in the rankings, uh, 18, 6 and 1 in terms of his record. Heavy hands, another guy that has was at light heavyweight, I think, and came down um, to a bit, bit, you know, was an undersized light heavyweight probably, but is a big lad for, for middleweight. Um, 50-50 is probably a good shout. I, I see this is a, a bit of a, a, a breakout fight for Delitz. I think he's striking has improved every time more recently he's been around and I can see him lighting Vittori up. Well, Vittori has just coming off the back of a, a fairly one-sided loss um, against Robert Wicker back in September 2022. He has obviously lost fights before. As you say, he's got a record of 18-6. Of I don't recall him ever losing a fight as comprehensively as this one. I think he just got taken apart, basically. Um, so it'll be quite interesting to see his mindset coming into this one and whether that's affected it all. I agree. I think if... Delitz wins this, it's going to be a KO and hopefully it will be because it'll be quite an explosive way to start the main card um, it's He either... has got just to mention though that whilst he's, he's, I agree with you, I think that would be my prediction would be Delitz by KO um, very very impressive background, was an ADC uh, Asia and Oceania champion in 2016 so his grappling skills are of a very very high level, Vittori is a pretty solid wrestler not so sure what he's like on the ground. Yeah. Standing and striking is, is his would be his choice, I think. So you could argue that that, that game plan, if Delitz takes it, might play into Vittori's hands. But Vittori, if there was ever a um, uh, you know a stereotypical description of someone, he is a gatekeeper. Beats the very majority of people in the division. He'll take and he'll take quite, uh, take quite easily. Put him up against the upper echelons of uh, of the middleweights, and so unfortunately, he starts to fall and fade. So this would be a real test for Delitz, and if he is at thirty four, wanting to make moves and, and challenge for the title, it's probably got two three years before he's he's, he's passed off. Let times against him. You're absolutely spot on about that. Um, I think if Vittori wins this, he's he's got to control the pace of the fight. Of course, um, Delitz is, in my opinion, going to be trying to finish this early. I think he's going to use his power, try and take him out. Might even see a KO in first round. Not entirely sure as well uh, on Delitz's gas tank. Vittori is has been dragged into deep waters. Was when I think he went. Did he go five rounds with Whitaker? Whitaker is 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 incredibly 
fit and again has a deep gas tank so Vittori is probably the more um, better rounded and maybe better conditioned fighter De Litz is definitely the more explosive first prediction then De Litz uh, KO can't disagree I think it, it's either Vittori is going to take it by decision or De Litz KO and because we want a little bit of excitement, don't we, on the first card? I'm going to go Delitz K as well. Um, next up, we've got Jennifer Meyer and Casey O'Neill. So Jennifer Meyer is 29 and 1. Um, that's 29 and 1, not 29. Uh, and then Casey O'Neill is undefeated, 9 and 0. So have you had a look into this? Because I'm quite impressed by Meyer's um, Jiu Jitsu. And, and Muay Thai, I've had a look into her previous grappling skills. Um, she is quite good in, in submitting her opponents, but it seems to be O'Neill's big chance to break through into the top 10 uh, does this. She had quickly made a name for herself. I think, if I recall correctly, she suffered quite a serious injury. Did she get an ACL injury at the start of last year? So she's been out of action for a while. Um, I think it was April 2022 but this is sort of the big comeback it's still a difficult fight because Meyer is obviously quite good um, one woman I think is going to leave as a top 10 flyweight the other I can see in Meyer's case falling out of it if she does win I think it's going to be backing up O'Neill's hype um, her victory in this case obviously be really impressive considering she's coming back from that big injury and she would also still be undefeated yeah, I mean, they're similarly ranked despite a uh, big difference in experience levels, isn't there? Uh, Meyer's got far more significant level of fights than, than O'Neill, but Meyer's ranked 9 and O'Neill is 11. So, you know, they're pretty evenly matched according to the UFC rankings. Um, I agree, I think it's been it's a bit of a showcase fight for O'Neill. They've put it together for her because um, she hopefully can take... Meyer apart on the feet, even though, as you said, Meyer is more of a ground fighter, probably in terms of her, her wheelhouse. Um, and obviously this is also at flyweight, where um, was it the last event we saw the surprising uh, upset of Shevchenko? So, yeah, Grasso took the, the win. Um, so this also feels like this could be trying to build O'Neill for maybe a win over Meyer. She'll probably vault up the rankings into, you know, eight, nine, something like that, um, seven. Maybe give her a, then a top five winner of that might well get. I'm sure they'll do a rematch first for Shevchenko, given how Almost long certainly. she how long she's definitely deserves one, given how long she held the belt for. But um, yeah, I um, I think this is a, a similar in some way. I mean, you can probably say this about a lot of these fights that where there's a slight mismatch. I think my prediction: O'Neill by KO. Meyer's way to win would be on the ground. So uh, it would be one of those, I think, you know, Meyer could sub her, uh, definitely, but I, I, I would say um, Casey O'Neill by KO for me. Yeah, I've got it as well. I've got TKO if we want to be really specific, but TKO, KO, definitely. Um, I think that this is just another, in the most respectful way, stepping stone for O'Neill. I think she could be the next big thing in uh, the flyweight division. As you say, the, the victory of Grasso over, over Shenchenko opens things up quite significantly. And I think any woman in that flyweight division has to see that as a potential opportunity. Um, Gunnar Nelson versus Brian Barberena then. 
So this is quite an interesting one, you know what I think? This might be the um, the biggest mismatch in terms of style. So this is the absolutely traditional grappler versus striker. So Nelson is an incredibly high-level grappler. Again, I believe he's competed at ADC, uh, ADCC, very high-level black belt. Um, and Barbarena is a smasher. Just gets has got in some real stand and trade wars. Right, who's gonna who's gonna win uh, and bang it out? Um, I think they've only got one path of victory each, which is Barbarena will win by KO, and Nelson would would win by submission. Both very similar records, both eighteen wins. Interestingly, that backs up what we're saying here. Nelson's never won a fight by KO or TKO. Ever, you know, decision or submission. Only ways he's won. And I definitely don't see that changing. He will be the more local fighter, being that he's from Europe. Um, I can't remember if it's Finland or Sweden. Iceland, Iceland is it? But he is known within uh, sort of the... Brit- he, he, he fights on a, a lot of British cards. He trains with a lot of British fighters. He'll be the, the more hometown guy. I see him getting knocked out, if I'm honest. Can't disagree. It'd be nice to see him submit him. Um, I don't really think, other than... Nelson, there are many submission specialists in the card. I don't think there's anyone that you look at and think, um, like Craig, for example. You look at him, you think, oh, he's definitely going to win by submission if he's going to win, which is a bit of a shame because I would like to see him on the card. But um, hey ho. But yeah, I, I've got Barbarena versus uh, V uh, KO. Sorry, uh, I think unless Nelson can put him in, in a, a bad position very early on, I think it only goes one way for him. I'm not sure we've ever really seen um, Barbarena tested against uh, extremely high-level jiu-jitsu. I think I'm going off memory and not my notes, but was his last loss to Rafael de Sanjos, who obviously is a particularly high-level black belt, but that was not a grappling fight. That was the more the more recent version of RDA, where he's turned into a kickboxer to stand and bang. Did he get subbed? Did he? Yeah. So yeah. that would... There's a definitely a, a path to victory for Nelson there. The only thing I do remember, I can't call out who those five losses are. Admittedly, I haven't done my homework that much on Nelson. Uh, but when he's lost, he's been folded a few times by strikers. So um, Last uh, five losses. Uh, so Gilbert Burns, um, which was a unanimous, no shame in that. Yeah, unanimous decision. Uh, Leon Edwards, funnily enough, by a split decision. Um not a chance I'm going to be able to say his second name. I'm just going to call him Santiago. It were a fight night back in 2017. It wasn't Nibio, was it? Uh, it is. It is indeed. I mean, somewhat like that. He I'll is a heavy, heavy-handed striker. Knocked him out. Similar kind of uh, strike, uh, sort of approach in Barbarina, so that would be a good match-up model. Uh, Maya back in, and we're talking years ago now, but back in 2015... Demi and Maya. I do uh, remember that because that was the most boring fight because they're both decision. super high level yeah. um, black belts. And um, then Rick Story in 2014, which was a split decision. So he's only been knocked out once. He's an old school one. Um, if it doesn't tell you there, am I guess the nickname of Rick Story? Uh, Quite a good nickname. Toy. Rick the Horror. Jesus Christ. I always remember. That's a good one. He's an old school fighter he was. But actually, less knockouts than I thought. If I'm honest. So that, you know what, that's... Do you know what? I'm going to change my mind. Seeing as this is a world we're allowed to do that, I'm going to go Nelson by sub. I don't like that because I want Nelson to win and I'll only go in Barberina 
because I thought. Well, I'm just going. What I go the opposite of whatever you go because we know that with your <laughs> extremely um, competent record of calling fights, um, that whatever you ha- you say, the opposite will happen. So uh, I'll stick with Barbarian about uh, by a KO or TKO. Then go on, Bam Bam, win me one. Um, one fight, which was the co-main event. Now, I think the fight that you're most looking forward to on the entire card: uh, Justin Gage and Rafael Fizayev. This is almost certainly going to be the fight of the night. Here we fucking go. <laughs> this is this is this apart from our boy Leon. This is what I'm going to see. This will be all action. I, as I said, it will definitely be fight of the night. It is the potential here is incredible, you know. And this would be one of those ones. Hopefully, we might be referring to this at some point as a Bonner uh, special segment in terms of watch this fight. So you've got. You'll see us in background on the video as well. If you've got fucking binoculars out <laughs> and a telescope, maybe. But um, so Justin Gagey, f- f- probably don't need to go into much detail about him. Everybody knows how exciting this guy is. Ranked number three lightweight in the world, record of 24 and four, 19 KOs in those 24 uh, victories uh, against uh, Fiziev, who is uh, number six in the rankings. 12 and 1 with 8 KOs. So somebody's getting taken out on the stretcher. This is what, I mean, I'm almost certain I know what your prediction for this is. I might end up disagreeing with you. I was going to go for your man. But the more I look into this, the more I have a look at his recent fights and the more I see how competent he is, I think Fizayev is the right, rightful favourite here because I think he is actually the the betting favourite as well but this seems to be that fight that can elevate him even further Gagey's lost four times they are the upper echelon so Eddie Alvarez back a while ago before just um, Dustin Poirier Khabib Charles Oliveira Never they're the him. only people he's lost to um, fight of the night six times in 10 UFC appearances so he he, he brings his kicking game is sensational. He might have some of, and ironically, so does Fiziev, these uh, undoubtedly the two best kickers in their, their divisions. They both kick, and every, everything they they swing with is powerful and with talk. These are not volume-striking guys like uh, Nate and Nick Diaz. These guys are coming to kick the fuck out. Gagey's thigh kicks in particular to make immeasurable damage on people. And you can see after one round, completely alters the way that they're, they're moving. Um, Fiziev, um, quite an interesting character in terms of background. I found a little um, YouTube video on him. He he came into professional MMA pretty late. He was actually in... I'm trying to think how they described it. He was born in something... I think it was Kyrgyzstan, or one of the Stans, anyway. And he followed his dad... The video said the Ministry of the Interior, which when I then did a bit for the, the police. So he's basically like a policeman <clears throat> in some small former US Soviet state. Apparently didn't really like it. And there's a picture, couple of pictures in my whip, like in a police uniform holding an AK. Always an AK. Um, and basically then left and picked up uh, Muay Thai. So moved to Thailand, was was fighting Muay Thai um, there and started to get quite good. 
got to this Grand Prix final two years in a row and lost to a, a local favourite. Uh, and in the second appearance, right at the end of the bell, there's a, what now is infamous, and this is what kind of boosted him into the mainstream, a Matrix-style dodge that he did where the guy threw a kick and he just leant back behind the kick. And it was actually Dana White that saw this kick, uh, or this dodge, and put it on his social medias or whatever and was like, look at how crazy this is. And from that point, it seemed to boost him. He started training in MMA, transitioned into that, still uh, training in Thailand, uh, in, in, in Toy- Tiger Muay Thai, the gym. Uh, and then I think he fought in a couple of smaller promotions in America, laid the guys out, um, knocked their heads off, and ended up in the UFC. It's quite interesting as well because... Obviously, he's on a um, six-win streak at the moment, but lost his first fight and got knocked out. I think in his underrated uh, one of those that again not a big name coming on. He could definitely beat Gagey, be no doubt about it. And I think that's where you're uh, suggesting that you might be putting your money. I think I don't think he's ever fought anyone like Gagey. The other thing with Gage, Gagey has the most ridiculous chin. I I, I can't remember a UFC fighter that can take as much punishment as that man. It is quite simply frightening. It's like a zombie. Just walks through these punches. So I think even if you put their striking at similar levels, Gagey, one of the, to be the the toughest fighter in the world, I don't think there's many tougher than Gagey in terms of being able to take punishment. He's, He's almost unrivaled. So I'm going Gagey, decision. No. Not I, ch- I think they, they kind of cancelled each other out. I think they're both going to be swinging really badly and it, both of them are pretty tough. And I actually think I'm going to go against the grain and go gaugey no, decision. Lunacy. So is it what, one decision win in his entire UFC career? All the others have been knockouts? TKOs? He might have met his match though. He might. I get the feeling he'll be a bit. He, he's usually very happy to walk into the waters because he's the type of person that knows he can take one to give one, uh, punch wise, even probably kick wise. But I think that's very dangerous with Fizov. They're both very similar like that. And I, it could be one of those that after we're saying it could be the fight of the night. It will be fight of the night or a really damp squib. Not a chance. That this, I think you got it spot on. I would recommend you stick with your convictions this is definitely going to be the fight of the night that you look through his record Chandler fight of the night Ferguson fight of the night Cowboy got performance of the night Barbosa fight of the night Vic performance of the night and it goes on and on and the same for Fizayev you look at him performance of the night against Dos Anjos performance of the night and against uh, Riddle Green fight of the night it goes on and on and on the key for this you got it absolutely spot on again I think if Gagey continues to use his kicks to slow him down and reduces Fizayev's speed, because he's, he's quite quick, is Fizayev as well, and quite deceptively fast, I think that's the key. And I think he gets knocked out if he can uh, slow Fizayev down. If he can't, he'll get knocked out. But either way, this isn't going to decision. Fizayev strikes me, when I'm from, from what I've seen of him again, I've I seen his more recent fights, but... He's got that very traditional Muay Thai style, but he's also quite flashy. Spinning kicks, so he's going for your body, he's going for your head. Gagey is just, just digs in and just kicks those. Just I don't think, just, it just, <laughs> I don't think people can realise the, the accumulated damage it takes and on your ability to move. 
So once Gage is giving him a few of those kicks, it'll be interesting to see, is Fiziev going to try and check him? Is he just going to take him? But I think if his movement gets limited, he becomes a, a far less expansive fighter. If he's sort of not on his lead leg, his kicks are taken away from him, I feel he's vulnerable, where I feel like Gagey can knock you out with his hands or his feet. And he, he uses his kicks as a kind of weapon to tire you out, to make you less able to move and dodge, and then lines you up for the punches. Sticking with Gagey decision. Is your, your perfect chance to change your mind here. Gagey KO. Yeah, much better. And... I've actually written down Gagey KO, so I'm going to go Fizayev KO because it, by be all in, those, it? it will be a shocking outcome if it's not fight of the night and one of them doesn't get knocked out. I would say that would shock me more than any of the others if it doesn't live up to expectations. It would be more upsetting because I feel like that would be one of those things where I just look over at you if it goes to a boring decision and you're just like, uh, you've just both not, been standing there yeah. kicking, not landing, yeah, like, not bothered what? for main event anymore. Uh, it will be, but again, if that is as explosive as we think, how perfectly does that build the atmosphere, the anticipation, the night for the main event? Yeah, and this is obviously the big one. There's been a number of big fights uh, to take place in the UK over the years from the UFC. This one might be one of the biggest. Uh, not only, obviously, is the welterweight title on the line, this is a trilogy bout following one of the, correct if I'm wrong here, biggest upsets in Octagon history. One of, made sure to say one of, not the biggest. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call it maybe on paper as much of a shock. It was definitely a shock in terms of the timing, given the status of the fight and how they'd both been forming at the time it happened. Did I you not think, and again, before we get into it, because we've got a lot to talk about here, but do you not think it was still one of the biggest upsets in the sense that we obviously gave Edwards a chance because we're geniuses and knew it was going to happen, but the streak that Usman was on leading up to this, he looked pretty much unbeatable. So for him to have been knocked out, it, obviously the memes that have come out of it... I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I, and in the manner that he was so dominant. I mean, it was... I, I, I remember watching this one. Three to one, pretty much, certainly was to me. I checked as part of our homework, uh, the judges' scorecards. And at the point in the fifth round when um, Edwards KO'd him, all three judges had it exactly the same. Exact, very rarely, but you see, they scored all four rounds exactly the same. Given the first round, I think it was to Edwards. All three other rounds were to Usman. So, yeah, I mean, now that you talk back to it, like, talk me back through like that, it probably is one of the biggest upsets like that. And I mean, Usman is the original smashing machine. He came into the UFC, was grinding out decisions. No one wanted to watch him fight because he was so boring. And no one wanted to fight him because you couldn't get him off you. He would just grab you, he would take you down. Loads of people quite famously were like, no, they want to fucking fight that man. I'm going to go near him with a, with a, with a barge pole because I know what he can do to me. And he suddenly hit this groove where he just suddenly started finding his, foot, his footwork, his feet, his kickboxing, particularly his power punches. And then suddenly went on a, a tear, just started adding ferocious knockout power to that stifling wrestling game that he's got I mean you look, I'm just looking through his record just you speaking it's not even as though he's not fought any big names he seemingly just ran through the division until he fought Edwards a second time um, for people who, who aren't aware and I'm sure if you listen to this you are but Edwards and Usman are facing off 
in their trilogy fight, obviously for the welterweight title. Fought twice before. Usman comprehensively won the first fight. Did he, lo- did he lose a round in that? I, I had to double-check this because I wanted to, to come up with that when we knew we were going to discuss this. Two judges had it 29-28, so he actually okay. did uh, Leon won a round. One judge gave it 30-27, Usman. Okay. Um, 2015. Oh, yeah, right, that was right a, at the start. A long time. We're on Dos Anjos versus Cowboy 2 on UFC on Fox a long, long time ago. But yeah, the, the second meeting obviously being last year where uh, Edwards kicked off Usman's head and the many memes that are formed following that. Um, Edwards has probably never been higher in terms of his stock. Obviously, as the champion, he had fought his way up to the top. Don't think many people gave him much chance against Usman the second time. Um, it's definitely going to be all about how Edwards is defending himself because, as you say, Usman is just going to try and take him down. Um, I'm looking through again his stats. The Dos Anjos fight, 12 takedowns. Um, Masvidal, 5 takedowns. Even in the, the fight that he lost last year, 5 takedowns um, against Edwards. So it's definitely all about his defensive work for me for Edwards if he's going to win this I think it's very easy to get caught up in this one and this is the one that I feel is uh, for us would be a night wrecker in that we wait for this the anticipation see it our, our boy Edwards fight and he could just get over not I, I, don't, I, I, I can't really see an Usman KO even though there's definitely a possibility but a smothering unanimous decision win is very very possible I mean, if we look put the, put the two fights together uh, overall, you've got to look at that. That obviously one head the head kick that was heard around the world. You know, never probably a better, cleaner head kick in UFA history. May, uh, maybe a couple. There's the Terry Etam got kicked by a wheel kick by Edson Barboza. That's about those two must be the best head kicks in UFC history. But if you look at it across the two fights. It's 5-2 to Usman round-wise. That doesn't look favourably for Edwards. I think you are spot on there. What can Edwards do to keep Usman off him? Usman should now, and quite rightly so, fear Edwards' power. You think he's going to be a bit more reluctant to stand and trade, which is going to make him probably even more inclined to try and take him down. So how does Edwards stop the takedown? And if he does get taken down, how quickly can he get back up to his feet or can he survive the ground and pound that's coming from Usman? Well, on the face of it, as you say, um, Usman should probably win this. If we're being quite honest and being a little bit sad about it, I suppose, but he should win this. Um, You take into account the first fight, as you say, he has essentially dominated Edwards for seven of the eight rounds uh, that they've fought. The head kick wasn't lucky. It was clearly telegraphed by some of the best corner work that we've seen in recent years. And that video still gives you goosebumps if you go and watch it. Um, But it does feel more likely that Usman's going to be able to avoid a similar shot than Rocky landing another. Um, X factors to consider for me. And this is where the arena, the event the timing, the date, the location, etc., etc., all come into one. Mental state of Usman. So he... A devastating knockout he suffered. He's never suffered that in his career, uh, certainly not well at the, the UFC. And bad knockouts like that have changed previous fighters and careers of previous fighters before. So there's no guarantee that he's going to come back into the octagon and return the same fight they were. There's obviously the mental state of Edwards to take into account in a sense that his confidence 
is obviously going to be through the roof. He's finally reached the <laughs> the top of the the mountain. He's in the home country. He's obviously the hometown fighter. Um, might feel like he's unstoppable. Might come out, knows what he's capable of, knows that he can stop Usman, and I think that's the big thing. Um, it's the whole Rocky Four where finally lands a punch on Drago and makes him bleed, and then it, it changes the whole complexion of the fight. Uh, and obviously no other UFC star can claim that they've sparked out Usman. But it can then go the other way. Is Edwards going to be overconfident? Is he going to come in thinking, I'm top of the world, I'm the t- best fighter there is, and Usman's going to, say, ruin his night and, and roll over him? Um, I've got... Usman should win this. Usman should definitely win this by decision for me anyway but there is absolutely zero chance that I'm betting against the hometown favourite we're going down there to watch this and hopefully to watch Edwards to KO him again um, so I'm going heart over head and I'm going to say that he knocks out Usman mental status and preparation I think is very critical in this fight so one thing I remember is shortly after this the last fight Usman went on Rogan and he was quite vocal in saying, do you know what, it was actually a good thing because the pressure it released. He said, you know, and I've heard this from other UFC champions before, Adesanya, in fact, said this, that when you have a long streak as the champion like that, the expectation that, that the pressure on you from the media, the fans, can be a bit overwhelming. And Usman actually looked, you know, some people say that and I'm like, fuck off. Yeah, it's a good thing I lost. I get to learn. I don't lose. I just learn. Fuck off. No one that sometimes is said, and it's said through gritted teeth, and you really don't believe it. Usman had a kind of enlightened feel to him. Like, do you know what? This is maybe what I needed. I needed a bit of time to relax, a bit away from the limelight. So I think you make a very good point. I think one thing we can say, or I'd like to hope we could say, is given that excellent bit of cornering which again we have to, you, you talked about in terms of, of Edward's corner his corner are not going to be letting him be Billy Big Balls you, this, you've got this in the bag They are, that was some of the best if not the best cornering I've ever seen told him to a T what he needed to hear you are fucked you need to win this out what's wrong with you it's not only just you need to put, you probably need to win by a knockout you need this what the fuck is wrong with you you are going out in a damp squib when this is your moment so I can't help but feel this corner will prepare him excellently for that and they will keep a cap on him, make him humble, make sure that he knows um, what it, what is at stake. It's the gravity of the event is the real big pull for me. He's going to be coming out to 20,000 fans going mental. Even as a star that he is, Edwards, he's never going to have had that before. And we've certainly seen him boxing, um fighters get overawed by that they can kind of it can get the, the deer in the headlights type of um analogy so i agree with you hart says usman by decision and probably a relatively convincing three three two three two or four one in terms of rounds if edwards can keep it standing and can just keep usman off him I think he can wear him down and watch him wilt and fade and that crowd being behind him as it goes into the championship rounds of four and five. There's a chance. Question for you. Is Edwards a better fighter than Usman? If you had to take them both now, it's obviously a difficult overall decision. The the likelihood you would say yes because he's won the majority of rounds against him quite comprehensively. But 
go into this on the back of, again, devastating knockout. If you had to put your money on it, is this man better than Edwards? It depends what you mean by better. Edwards is clearly the more rounded fighter, so he's better at more aspects than Usman. Usman, personally, here's a good way to look at it, if you look at these things, I think, an analogy. Think of Game of Thrones. You have a fight to the death. You get to choose someone to fight for you. Who would you pick, Edward or Usman? I'm having Ed, uh, Usman every day. My life depends on it, and I've got to pick one of them to fight, and the winner is whether I live or die, I'd pick Usman. If Edwards beats him a second time, rounds out the trilogy with his belt intact, his status intact, does that change your opinion? Obviously, it depends on how, I suppose, comprehensive, and I keep repeating it, but it depends on the, the method of victory and how obvious it is that he's beating him, whether it's going to be a little bit like the second fight where he was dominated and then pulls it out of the fire. But if he wins this again against Usman, who, as we've rightfully said, was just about unbeatable before that previous Edwards fight, would you then change your opinion and say he's now the better fighter? Potentially, yeah. I think how is is the is the question there? You know, is it again a? I'm not going to call it a lucky kick because it certainly wasn't lucky. It was very well timed and incredibly deliberate. But he lost the vast majority of that fight, uh, and you know he picked his moment. I think even Edwards would be uh, not inclined to say that he lost all of those rounds to set him up and let him think he was for that head kick. So. Um, it depends on the method and how convincing Edwards is, but I think it would be both good for both men to have a convincing victory either way, so probably both of them can move on from that because if it's a very contested one of those... I mean, let's be honest, a draw isn't the worst thing in the world for us because Edwards remains champion. So if you offered me that now, oh, it's going to be a bit of an ugly draw, controversial draw, I'll take it because Edwards still gets to keep the title, which is what I want. So, um, but that would probably jam up the division in which there would be another fight and then there'd be a quadrilogy. Um, I like them. But there's no equally, I don't think, super clear contenders. Someone else who's far obviously... Uh, I mean, who's number two? Kobe? It, it Colby, yeah. I would say, if I had to say who would be the potential next challenger, Bilal. Yes, you're, sorry, that's right. Um, Bilal has got... Who's he got? I don't, think, a... I don't think he's no, got No, actually, it's not. You've got, you, you, uh, you're talking wrong division there, isn't it? Because isn't Bilal fighting Oliveira? Isn't that lightweight, not welterweight? Has he gone up? I thought Bilal were a welterweight. Unless Oliveira has gone up, but Oliveira is obviously was fighting at lightweight. Bilal last beat Sean Brady, didn't he? Um, let's have a look. Um, but if... Because you, you've got, obviously, Burns is still in division. Um, who's very, very good fighter. Very, very good. BMF? Um, yeah. I mean, it's never going to be online. Um, but, yeah, I, I would have said Bilal, but I'm going to wait for you to confirm it now. You look correct in that it says straight away. I don't know why my internet is so garbage, but um, Mohamed Bilal competing in the UFC welterweight division, but I'm sure he's got a fight against Oliveira, so Oliveira must be going up. 
I mean, I'll let you find that out. I'm waiting to see if... Um... Anyway, I'll look, you carry on talking. So, well, what's, what's, what's your what's your, predic- your prediction then? For this? Uh, yeah. For Edwards? Edwards knockout. Genuinely, I, part of me thinks that if Edwards is going to win, it's probably going to be by decision this time because he's not really massively known as a, a KO artist, but you've got to go over that and you've got to say that he's going to knock out Usman and send the hometown crowd into absolute raptures. And then when we do go out, There'll be nowhere for us to go, everyone will be drinking in streets, etc, etc. It'll be a rambunctious atmosphere, I think it's fair to say, if uh, if he wins. And you are right, I am confusing two fighters. So, um, Charles Oliveira's next fight is Binal Dariush, not Mohamed Bilal. Dariush, of course. So, yeah. my apologies, gentlemen, for confusing you. But, so, um, are you now a casual fan? It appears that way. <laughs> I, I certainly cannot refer to myself as an expert as you do, which I never have, but has never been clearer than now that I can't even get the right weights or two guys' uh, right names. Terrible. So, At um, least we're not going to see a, a massive UFC event this weekend. Um, give me your prediction then, just because I'm noting them all down and obviously we'll refer to them next week and probably on Saturday. It's whether you go heart or head, isn't it, Matt? If, I, if I'm trying to... I'm doing justice to what I think will happen and not removing the heart out of it. I'm going to go Edwards' decision. Sorry, um, Usman's decision. Boo. Which I don't want. I'm very clear that's not what no, I want No, you've but... betrayed your country. And you've already given him the kiss of death by, <laughs> by uh, saying him. that he's going to win. So, um, fuck you. There, <laughs> there are two other fights that I just want to make a little bit of note of. Um on the, the prelims. I think they're both on the later prelims as well. Um, Jack Shaw versus Makwan Amiakani. Uh, Jack Shaw is 16 to 1 now, and Amiakani is 17 to 8. So Jack Shaw was previously at Cage Warriors, I believe. Uh, I think it was Bantamweight champion. Is that right? Yes. So he. Welsh lad. Yeah, he came into. So technically hometown I suppose any UK fighter is, is technically a uh, hometown fighter but um, he had five consecutive wins I think it was at the UFC and then he had a clash with Ricky Simon who got he basically just subbed him and it who's changed who's no joke by the way again no. not a big name but a very very skilled fighter has think, a mullet quite yeah, a distinctive um... I watched it but it, it was one of those where it's kind of a bit of a Oh, this kid's hyped up. Oh, no, he's, he's lost. And they were a bit like, oh, that's a bit of a shame. I think you were at a fight night. Um, you know, I'm a big fan year. of my my nicknames. I like, but you know, uh, Akmikwani's nickname. Uh, I don't go on. Mister Finland. Oh, well, that's, not, that's what, what? it's not really a great one, is it? Compared to some of them that when you've got like the rhyming ones in there, and you know the the, the best. In fact, do you know what? That's what we're going to do next week. A little subtopic. We're going to have a discussion on the best fighting nicknames. I mean, well, it's not Mr. Finland, is Mr. it? Mr. Finland is not a great one. I know that Shaw's is Tank. Tank. Yeah, which which is better. And obviously, um, Davis has claimed that nickname in boxing. So, no joke of a nickname. Um, yeah, but he's, he's going up in weight, obviously, to fight Amir Khan. Strange one. I think it's, it's one that I'm quite looking forward to. Um, I'll be honest, I have no idea why he's moving up, so I'm hoping you can tell me. Struggling with a weight cut is the obvious decision. Uh, I mean, taking on someone that, again, to get on the card, 
uh, there's, there's always a few options there, but um, rank 15 in the UFC rankings um, at featherweight, which is strange because, as you said, I'm sure he was a bantamweight, so he's gone up, so somehow he's managed to uh, break into the, the, the top 15. But um, one that I'd like to hope, particularly again, given the... What, is he? Who's 15th? Jack Shaw. I've got him 15th as bantamweight. Oh, is he in bantamweight? Yeah. Uh, it's maybe a bit of my bad because he's, he's, the fight's at featherweight, so yeah, maybe yeah. you're right. Um, but he seems to be being set up in terms of um, the other chap's record, 17 and 8. <laughs> it's not great, is it? Wait, in he's, in, he's in England, you feel like he's giving him, they're giving him a chance to spark him out. He has won one fight in his last five as Amiakane. Weirdly, his last three wins, so this dates back to 2019, have all been by Anaconda Choke. Impressive. It's a very specific. It's a very specific. Uh, it's a bit of a strange one. It's like a sort of inverted headlocker uh, uh, anaconda. You uh, know it. CM Punk, it. his um, wrestling finisher was the anaconda choke. Oh, was it? Yeah. He obviously never used it in his long, long, illustrious UFC. Career, Rarely but... seen, and partic- I mean that, that's got to be a UFC record. But they, I'm guessing, they weren't in the UFC. Those three wins by anaconda. They were what? UFC were Fight Night in 2019 against Chris Fishgold. Um, and then a household name yeah 251 against Danny Henry and then a fight night in 2022 against Mike Grundy impressive I, I will go as far without having any homework on this completely speaking out my ass I bet you there's no one else that's got three anaconda finishes in the UFC probably not anyone else with two let alone three not even in a row it'd be a weird one um, <coughs> but yeah I think this is more of a as you say with his record a set up fight for sure to hopefully win his first in the division um, I've got him winning it by TKO I can see a knockout myself um, so I, I think just a clean knockout but yeah maybe the ref steps in um, for the TKO but yeah I agree I think we both agreed sure by won't go the distance no I agree um, the other one I just wanted to have a little bit of a honourable mention for again I think this is a, a later prelim uh, Mohamed Mokayev uh, so he's unbeaten 9-0 and um, one no contest, I believe. Uh, he's fighting, and again, pronunciation is always key on, on these podcasts. Uh, I've got it as Yafel Filu, uh, 14 and 2. He, Mokayev, has, has sort of got a lot of hype built around him, similar to O'Neill, Casey O'Neill, who we covered earlier on. Um, he, first fight UFC, 58 second submission. I think it was Cody Durden in his uh, debut. Um, Obviously, he's got a perfect record still. He is taller, I believe. He's slightly longer reach. Um, again, this seems like one of these where hometown fighter put up against someone who he should take out. He very often goes to decision, um, does Mokayev, and I'm going to go with him by unanimous, unanimous decision in this instance as well. Impressed when I had a bit of a look at him that uh, I didn't realize 22 younger than I thought and, and you know pretty impressive to have three three fight win streak in the UFC uh, at 22 so very good clearly baseline level of skills and a lot of time to work on those train evolve um, does seem to be more skilled in the submission uh, but uh, I don't know I get, guess Philo purely by his name is probably Brazilian so I, I would guess he may well be pretty handy with jiu-jitsu um, so I'm going to go, I 
I think he's only had, I think he only had, he's only had one UFC fight, uh, Philo. Uh, Fourteen and two record, I can see, but yeah. I, I I would tend to agree with you, uh, Makarov by submi- decision, decision or, or submission. submission. Yeah, I think um, it's probably not, no one's knocking, neither of them are knocking the other one out. Which again, I won't mind a bit of submission. As I said about Gunnar Nelson, we don't really have many submission specialists um, on the card, so it'd be nice to see someone get choked out. It's Matt. nice to see a variation of methods of victory across all the fights. So yeah. you know, some everybody wants to see the chaos. That's what we really want, and we've got our fights with um, you know. Gagey Fiziev, which would hope surely provide that. Be nice to see some impressive submissions as well. This is normally the point in the show where we would do the bonus segment. So there is a certain part um, of the show where we would essentially go into detail about uh, some of the greatest and most memorable fights in MMA history. We usually give you a bit of homework and post the fight on our Twitter page. Not going to do it this week because. Obviously, everything in this uh, MMA segment is dedicated to UFC 286. So what we're going to do is we're going to allow that to run over. That was Prohaska and, and Teixeira. Um, again, you've got an extra week for your homework, so a little bit of a, an extension. I'm sure everyone will be delighted to hit, uh, <laughs> that they get an extra week. What I would say is, as part of that extra week, because we're giving you the, the extra week there and allowing you some extra time, make sure that you watch UFC 286. And obviously, if you see me and Ian waving the tapping up flags in the corner make sure to tweet us and, and obviously get involved and spread the word that is is the tapping up podcast ian it turns out that jones does not knows at sky sports um what a shock so last week i feel like Ian, you're basing this on a very small sample of one week no maybe should you give no, him we, another chance well i mean we could do but i'm not gonna so, Do we know what he's saying this week? I'm, I'm not interested. <laughs> not interested. <laughs> Just want to take a one and done, so yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Fuck off. <laughs> not interested. He, there's a guy who I think he's called Jones Nose or Jonesy Nose, something like that, and he basically predicts things for, funnily enough, Sky Bet. He tells you what to bet on. <laughs> he tells you what results. What are to be. waste your money exactly. on? Exactly. So I thought it'd be interesting just to check last week and then obviously assess in this week's episode what the actual um, correct scores and correct results were. Predicted Bournemouth and Liverpool. Predicted a 2-1 win to Liverpool. Did that happen, Ian? No. No, it did not. It was 1-0 to Bournemouth. Everton and Brentford, 1-0. Wrong. Everton, 1-0. Leeds and Brighton, 3-1 to Brighton. Fuck you, Jonesy. 2-all. Big point for us, is that? Uh, Leicester and Chelsea. He had Chelsea 2-0. Predicted 3-1 to Chelsea, so I suppose I'll give them the result, but score's wrong, obviously. Spurs and Forest, won all. What a shock. He's wrong again. Spurs won, 3-1. Palace, City, predicted a draw, won all. Oh, look, what a shock. He's wrong. City won nil. Fulham Arsenal, he predicted 3-0 to Arsenal, so I guess he's right. Um, Man U, Southampton, won nil. Again, I let him off. It was nil nil in the end, but they did have a man sent off, so a bit of an outlier. West Ham Villa won all because he's predicted about 17 one alls in his results and it did actually happen. And then Newcastle Wolves, he predicted a one all draw again, surprisingly. And it was wrong, surprisingly. 2 1 Newcastle. I feel like I've not quite ever seen you this 
passionate or angry. I mean, what's, what's Jonesy done to you? He fucked your mum or something. You seem well, incredibly you Jonesy, upset about it. Tell you what Jonesy hasn't done, <laughs> predicted the right scores. So, yeah. Well, I'm just, I was just looking to see if he had some gems for us this week. Go on. Uh, he doesn't, but uh, what He's he retired. does, if you want more money to waste, uh, we've got Jones Knows Ch- Cheltenham Festival Jesus tips. Christ. So, on Sky Sports, you can waste your money on his tips on the, uh, the festival if you want, which I won't be doing. I'm going to say, here's a tip from me. Don't listen to his tips. <laughs> James doesn't know shit. <laughs> Keep your money in your back pocket. Oh, um, in other news, Leeds Brighton. So I just wanted to touch on this because it's been, and again, we try not to stray too far from being unbiased on the podcast, although that's a complete lie. Um, a lot of Leeds fans have picked up on something in particular that happened in the Leeds and Brighton game. First question for you, because obviously you watched that game, having watched Liverpool get a great result against Bournemouth. Thanks very much for that, by the way. On the edge of the lip, trying yeah. to sort myself down from jumping after <laughs> I mean, you'd, you'd put me there as well, because that took him above us. But anyway, your main takeaway is that Jack Harrison is, and I quote, the worst footballer in the Premier League. I cannot think of a more wank player. that for, I, I'm going to sound like you do with Jonesy. He just drives me up the wall. He's got a very rare and occasional end product of a good cross or maybe two or three times a season he scores a screamer. He's one of the most wasteful pieces of shit footballer I've ever seen. Did you know that he has had his own goal taken off him? It's been given to... What was he doing? (laughs) He shows he's got a magical right foot and then he doesn't use it trying to make a clear, an obvious clearance. What on earth was it? That's literally one of the most... Backwards decisions. I was going to say something. I was going to bust into politically incorrect words. Is how shockingly bad that decision making process was with that goal. I, I literally don't know what's. I, normally, I would argue against you, obviously, and I would say, ah, he's not that bad. He had a shocker. He did score a really good goal. I literally don't think he did anything else right in that how game. Does he play ahead of Nonto? Nonto looks a fa- every time he comes on, he makes a difference. Now, I get the argument maybe of him being an impact sub and changing the games got to play Nonto over Harrison it's, it's mind-boggling BBC how actually had Nonto as player of the match statistically incredible every time I watch him come on the matches I, I watch more Leeds matches than, than most because so we can discuss it and you know um, for the podcast but he's a right player maybe one of certainly your most informed player I would say of the last what five or ten games him and Adams is there a two better performing well, Leeds players probably out for season now so that's which is a real shame it's fun um but yeah so just the reason that i bring this up isn't to slate harrison although i did want to say it off there because it's always fun a lot of leeds fans have essentially picked up on the fact that since Gracia has come in there's been an, an obvious change in tactics we're no longer seeing the red bull football that we were seeing under marsh where it's you know gun her run down the line try and chase the ball if you don't get the ball you're probably fucked we were sat there uh, in the stadium in a season tickets and there were some new people sat in front of us, never seen them before. I'm 90% sure they were off the reds on Coke. And throughout the first maybe 10 to 30 minutes, all they were shouting is, get into him. You know, the proper stereotypical, your dad's watching you play under 10s football. And Fuck him up. Exactly that. <laughs> Literally exactly that. So it was like being back at Cage Steel. Um, essentially the reason for that is that Brighton very very good team this season very very well drilled under De Zerbe. we've hyped De Zerbe up 
continuously throughout the, the previous episodes. And again, I think he's done a fantastic job this season and Brighton deserves to be where they are. Brighton have a very obvious style of football in that they want to play around you. They want you to press them so that they can then get in those gaps, play off the park and absolutely demolish it. They've done that a number of times this season. I believe they've done it with West Ham. There was a notable absence of pressing or significant pressing from Leeds. Gracia had set Leeds up so that instead of when the keeper had the ball, Bamford would race after him or Aronson would run after him, they would stand off. And there were a number of times where Jason Steele had the ball, so Brighton's goalkeeper, and was thinking, hang on a minute, there's, there's no one pressing me here. What do I do? So they would pass it to Dunn <coughs> or they would pass it to Webster who would then pass it back. And that was all because of the tactics that Gracia was instilling. If Leeds had pressed, I can guarantee you we'd have lost that game by three, four goals. The only reason that we didn't get more of a positive result out of it, and this isn't sour grapes, Brighton were the def- definitely the better team and you could have accepted them winning in all honesty, was that essentially the only outlet that Brighton had was that long ball over the top. It just so happened that the long ball over the top were going to their left wing every single time. To Mitoma, who is a very, very good player, fantastic form at the moment, and Ailing just so happened to have one of his more shockers, or shocking games throughout this season. He was just getting ball played over the top, and they were getting in every single time they were doing that. If that hadn't have happened, you've essentially neutralised everything that's good about Brighton and given them no outlet. The times that they weren't able to play that ball over the top, they would try to play it through the middle, and they would lose it, and it would allow Leeds to counter-attack, and there were a lot of good opportunities that came out of that, such as the one that Bamford would then go on to score. Um, it was more of a, a gripe, to be honest, because it, it, it seems to be one of those things that if you don't play full attacking football like Bielsa's has done in the last um, three, four years that we had him, it must be bad football. But I think the more I watch how Gracia sets us up and clearly shows that he's got a plan B, a plan C, the more I think that they're actually going to stay up. Um, I think you're being rich considering you're usually the most pessimistic I think you're you're being quite generous to him there I thought Brighton were by far the better team I thought like you say that that outlet I, I hear what you're saying that if Ailing wasn't caught out every single time by not only Matoma but is it Estepinion yeah very very left good left back uh, and looking very good they it was embarrassing I mean you must have thought sat there what the fuck is going on? Just feeling the buzzing in your pocket. I, and then when you looked at half time at your phone, I just sent you a tirade of like, what the fuck is ailing every single time he's getting caught out? It was driving me up the wall as someone wanting Leeds to win. I thought Leeds got, lucky's probably harsh, but the goal, there was a large slice of luck in it in terms of the deflection from Bamford. I'm not sure that would have necessarily gone in, certainly not as emphatically uh, if it didn't have the deflection. Um, and I thought Brighton were the better team. I thought Nonto changed the game when he came on and gave you a bit of an outlet. And I thought you only had, was it one other, what I would call clear chance if Harrison didn't hit his, as you say, good goal. Can't say it wasn't, but poor goalkeeping. I thought Brighton's goalkeeper was far too far out for the position there. And I'm trying to think who it was, but someone had a header. Did they not in the second half towards the end that was a relatively good chance but apart from that I don't think you had a great deal of chances I think there were two other standout chances other than the, the ones that you mentioned there one was uh, falls to Aileen at the back post and he balloons it over the bar he should do much better than that and again I think he just had an off day in all fairness to him 
Um, the other being when Rodrigo comes on, the ball gets played through to him and he just fails to control it. And I think it's just a, a lack of match fitness. I think Rodrigo early in the season probably controls that and gets a shot not off, if not scores. But the, the way I look at it, Brighton are clearly a better team than Leeds this season. That's not a question. And again, there's no sour grapes in that whatsoever. But I think in the first four games that De Zerbe took over Brighton, they had blanked three times out of those four. They've scored 11 Premier League games in a row. They've scored three goals or more six times this season. And obviously we're on the verge of doing so against Leeds as well. And I think Welbeck ballooned it over the bar, which was quite fun to see. But to keep them into a position where you're getting a point off them, even when we're at home and you know they're away and there's a potential there where you think, oh, actually, we should run through Brighton. They're not that team that people think they are anymore where you can go and take points off them. Again, very well drilled this season. So to get a point, to drill them as Gracia has done, I think puts us in good stead. I'm not saying that it's going to be a comfortable season and that from now on we're going to go and take points off loads of people. But I think, and this is a kiss of death and, and knock on wood, there are worse teams at the division with worse managers. Absolutely. And as I say, I wasn't meaning just to be my usual argumentative self to you. I think it was a good point for Leeds when you look back on it because I think they were the worst team. Brighton were the better team. And on a different day, had there not been a a bit of fortune in the deflection, it could have been a very frustrating day for Leeds. So I certainly see it as a point gained. I think you're right that, that having a bit more resolution in them and not folding you know coming back from the, the got being a goal down each time to get a point is certainly encouraging so I think that would be uh, a point gained as opposed to a couple of points lost but um, I don't disagree with you and I think again let's be honest I'm sure even the most ardent of Leeds fans and these coke heads that don't know what they're talking about that you were talking about earlier in the game would take not great football and staying up or you know, a, a slightly less progressive and exciting t- brand of football, if you want to call it that, to stay up, and then let's see what happens over the summer. But I think without it's, question, it's got to be staying up. That's the only aim for me. Um, you know, stay up, then we'll worry about how pretty the football can be. Well, while we're talking about predictions, I always like to have a quick gander at the supercomputer that is is put out there, and a lot of people refer to this. Um, the winners currently, again, this is all according to Supercomputer. They've got stats that they delve into, whether they're all correct or not. And different math. But Arsenal, 54% chance of winning the league. So the, does the Supercomputer alter its output after every game? Yes. Factor all the other things in so it changes? Right. Yeah. So obviously the amount of games that you've got left, the amount of points that you've got, the likelihood that you're going to score, the likelihood that you're going to concede, the teams that you're playing, you know, the fixture list, all that sort of stuff is, is apparently taken into account. Again. See, that they're not changing going forward though, are they? The one game's gone and your last performance is to be factored in, but in terms of who you've got coming up, that's not going to change. You'd think there's not much of a change in terms of an algorithm from, I remember we talked about it, was it a couple of weeks ago, you told me what the percentages was. It shouldn't, in my mind, have changed a great deal in some of those factors because the teams that everybody's still got to play remain the same, haven't they? But I think it takes into account the likelihood that you're going to score and the likelihood that you're going to concede. So, for example, with Crystal Palace in their most recent games, obviously they lost last night. Not taking that into account, because they had three shots on target that the previous three games before that, they hadn't even registered a shot on target. So I think the likelihood of them scoring then goes down and in turn it factors where they are in the 
the prediction. and the predictions for the upcoming teams who have got to play Palace as well. Yeah, yeah, that makes um, sense. Arsenal and, and City are obviously neck and neck. It's it keeps around fifty percent all the way through the season. As uh, Arsenal are fifty four and, and City are forty six. Two things I just wanted to, to touch on, just because it's always fun to rub it in for you. Um, what do you think your percentage chance of finishing the top four is? Not very good after the last couple of performances. Um, if I had to guess, thirty-six percent, twenty-eight percent. So Brighton is twenty-five. So you're almost on the, the same level as, as Brighton now. It's got you finishing in sixth. Would you take sixth place? No. <laughs> Might we have to? Yes, but after the the emphatic seven nil and the thoughts then of like it's back on, we can do that. I still think we can. Purely not because that's in any way a pat on the back of Liverpool. It's more indicative of everybody is losing points this season, and I think the teams above us, United, Brighton, Newcastle, all of those will still continue to lose points. I think so. Spurs is the one to look at because they're so inconsistent. And there's a lot that's going on behind the scenes. I think with Conte, etc. I can see them doing a Spurs and completely falling out of it. Probably on the last day, Nance, but that would be <laughs> that would be Spurs all over, wouldn't it? Really, but. Um, uh, the only other thing that I want to mention, relegation. Who is the three to go down, do you think, at the moment? It's, got, it's changing all the time, isn't there's, it? There's an obvious one. So Saints, I would say, are are going down. 71% chance of relegation. That's quite I high. I don't like to say it, having grown up there, but I still think Bournemouth will go down. Don't have them going down. It's got them finishing well, uh, just above, I think it's by a point or something like that, but just above the drop zone. Um so what am I guessing now? My three or the three in the, the super three computer? in the, the super computer. Um, so I think that'll be Palace. Palace actually only have a ten percent of going uh, chance of going down there above ah. Leicester Wolves. Is it depressingly then Leeds? It's not Leeds. Leeds have got a twenty nine percent chance of going down. They've got us finishing fifth from bottom. Twenty nine being my lucky number. Well, so I like I'm that. Trying to think, I, I can't. I still don't think it'll be Forest. So Forest is one of them. Forty eight percent chance of going down. Okay, and Everton. Everton is the other. So they've got it. Southampton finishing I think 20th. them two will do it, be all right. So no. That. Forrester in trouble. Everton, because of the Daesh factor, you'd be saying they'll probably get out of it. But they've got some really difficult games coming up of Everton. Like, really difficult. Uh, Palace is the one to watch because Palace are in free fall at the moment. And obviously there's discontent. Vieira's apparently on the verge of getting sacked. I won't sack him. I think Just, it'd be silly. It's so... It can. It's so tight down there, isn't it? Between, I mean, how many points separate bottom and probably like eleventh? Is I it bet like it's, four or five? It's... I bet. It, I mean, anyone probably in that bottom half can still easily get sucked into it. I mean, I'm just trying to have a look. Yeah, now. let's have a look. So Southampton are on 22 points. Obviously, they've now played a game extra, same as Everton, same so as Palace. Palace are twelfth at the moment, 27 but points. But they're only three points off drop. Yeah. <laughs> so that there's five points between 20th and. 12. Any of those teams from easily Palestine a bad run if they've got, as you say, one of them have got a bad run. I still think, again, kiss of death, but Leicester and West Ham are the teams that are, in inverted commas, too good to go down. Everton's next games they've got Chelsea away, they've got Spurs at home, they've got Man U away, they've got Fulham at home, and then judge matches Palace away. But Palace away is a difficult one. Um, there's a lot of teams like that, so you look at Forest's next few games. Newcastle at home, Wolves again, big match. Leeds and another big oh, match. Yes. Villa. So there's, there's quite a few. They do have a Some real six pointers in there, isn't there? Huh? Yeah, they do have a, a bit of a run. I think they've got to play you, Man U and Brentford in a few games in a row. So you don't want one of those where it's like, yeah, we've got to play quite a few, and then 
we've just lost to a relegation rival just before it. Well, it can't get much worse than um, Liverpool's uh, upcoming run as well, isn't it? It's not ideal after losing to... Go on, um, uh, what is it? Well, uh, City, Chelsea, <laughs> Arsenal, then you guys. But then we've got Four Leeds, losses. Forest, West Ham. So there's three very winnable games. And what more than anything Hang I hope there is we can have a hand in helping Leeds stay up by beating um, the other teams there. There you go. So you can lose against Leeds and then you can Beat Forest and West Ham. Your season's over anyway, so you don't need points, do you? So, um, last bit on football then. So uh, I, I won't push you too much on this because it's still a sensitive subject. Champions League, so the final eight now. Do you have anyone immediately that you think are going to win it? So just a reminder of the final eight. It's City, Bayern... Madrid, Napoli, Chelsea, Benfica, Inter Milan and AC Milan. The order that I've given you there is actually the order of their odds. So City being the favourites and Milan. You can get them as high as 37-1, to 1, AC Milan. I mean, Bayern, no one really seems to be talking about them flying under the radar a bit with a very settled team and squad they've got. The two for me has got to be City. And I'll tell you, if there was a dark horse in that, for me it would be Napoli. Yeah. I really like Napoli. They've got a very, very good squad built on a very solid base but great going forward. Osserman got to be up there um, in terms of probably the number two striker in the world after Haaland. Just against Barca. Would you, would At this moment in time, on form, definitely. On form. I think this season, you, got, you, would, you would say Mbappe has got to be in there, but more of a winger at the moment. Yeah, it doesn't seem to, I, I think, um, hasn't really, even though his numbers are doing pretty well, but um, that, I think Osserman in terms of this season has got to be up there talked about with the, the, the best strikers in the world and obviously they've got Cravadonna as well who... where, where does Osserman go because we, we think he's going into the Premier League in the summer is he going to Man U yeah I was just going to say I think that's where Man U might stick their chips instead of Kane you know I think you can probably pay slightly more 20-30 million more but... for, for Kane but you're getting someone who I mean again is he 23-24 yeah better age um, I think maybe suits Man U style a little bit than Kane, a little bit quicker, still quite physical. He scores a lot of headers for uh, for his size. Um, put, put it, if I was Man U a fan, I'd rather have Osman than Kane. Don't disagree. I think he's obviously got more longevity in him. Um, still young, I'd say 24. His market value is currently 70 million euros on. Uh, I tell you what, it's ridiculous. It's going to be more than that. That's a bargain. Yeah, it's going to be more today, than that. Definitely. Given that um, Man U paid ninety million for Anthony, you go, you know, one hundred and fifty for something. Easy. Is he injured again, Anthony? I think he's picked up another knock. But it's a shame. Um, yeah, they would be the three uh, obvious ones for me: City, Bayern, uh, Napoli. It's funny you should say that. The most popular bets as of last night. So I did have a check. Um, the majority, or nearly fifty percent, were on Napoli to win it. Uh, City with the second and then Madrid in that order so not even a consideration of Bayern so as you say they're going a little bit under radar yeah I think probably again the bookies love these type of bets I, I don't think I've ever bet on someone that far out to win a title you know a, a Champions League or something like that but um, I bet Napoli before the game probably odds were quite tempting if you like for that and probably came crashing down to a lot less after the game obviously they're through but 
um, they're still probably pretty good odds because you said that. Sorry, you read that order. You ranked them in was the betting favourites. Where did you have them? Fourth. Yes. So City seven to four. Um, Bayern are eleven to four. Madrid a six to one. Napoli a seven to one. Chelsea ten to one. Benfica twenty to one. Inter uh, twenty five. And then AC as draw a hasn't been done yet though, has it? That's always it's a big factor in these. Tomorrow at eleven o'clock. So by so, the time this is by obviously the time that all our fans are listening to this fantastic episode, um, the draw is. And that has a huge impact on the odds. You get two of the big boys like Napoli City get drawn against each other. Someone's got to go. So I um, want Inter versus AC in one of the the draws. I want City to get Bayern. It'd be quite nice. Madrid versus. I mean, if you were asking for anyone out of that for me, Benfica's the obvious one. But on their day, they're no joke. I'm going to say Inter have been struggling. I've got to be honest. Inter or AC, I'd take. Yeah. Um, I, I think they're the three that if you were City you were looking for the easier no easy potential games in the quarterfinals but Benfica or them two would be the, the, the shout you want you don't want Bayern or Napoli I, I think they might good. want Chelsea a little bit of a revenge yeah I, I, it's, I think it's different when it's more local games like that you know a bit of a derby if you like it's, it's like not, Liverpool but... if you ever draw Liverpool so City drawing Liverpool in the Champions League in the league at the moment, you'd say, yeah, City will, will roll over you. If you were in the Champions League, which obviously you're not anymore, but if you were, then you'd be like... Oh, We've had a minute. good record against the yeah. English clubs over the years, particularly in the two-leg games, you know. Um, Chelsea, you know, we've done them a number of times in the Champions League. So we top them in the final. City, One of the things that you've said is that you think that you would take anyone... No, Used to leg. think, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm much prefer, again Liverpool over two get two legs. It's a different kettle of fish than a one-off game, which is why I don't like finals being a one-off game because I think you've gone through after a number of two, like, three-legged games to get through, and then you suddenly have to fight, go back down to one leg. But um, I don't disagree with you. I think City would fancy it, as you say, any one of them, bar Bayern or Napoli, you'd be a bit like, could have. Would you want Madrid? Because Madrid are the sort of. I mean, I'd Champions want them more Kings, than I'd they? want Bayern or Napoli. Napoli are the ones that I'd be really wary of. That I, and City Napoli has a nice final, final kind of ring to that. I think you're get good. You, again, you get you've got lots of subplots to that, haven't you? Of um, you know De Bruyne, Cravadonna. You've got lots of, of of sort of matches you can make there. So that would be if you could, if I could choose, that would be my final. We would normally tag on a little bit of boxing at the end of these episodes. Not really that much to talk about. Obviously, we're dominated in terms of combat sports this weekend for uh, UFC. The only thing that I would put to you, we've discussed this week quite a lot all this nonsense with Fury and Usyk. In previous episodes, I've been quite clear about the fact that I'm not a Tyson Fury fan in the slightest. I think you previously were... Has that changed with his conduct leading up to this Usyk fight, or fight that still hasn't really been confirmed, but has been confirmed, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. He's not. He's not winning himself any new fans, is he? And I think certainly my view would be it's kind of switched to. I, I, if I, as much as again, he's he's a home country fella, and I, I always liked Tyson Fury. He's not covered himself in any glory. You know, uh, we talked about in the last episode. At the time, I said to you and. Uh, Blair May and Trump here did I not say the perfect response from Usyk was to say alright I'll take your 30% hey, basically to call him out the reality was he doubled down and did better than I could even predicted because not only did he say I'll take it but you said this shit about charity now you've got to give a million pounds if you take this to the Ukrainian charity so the perfect 
pat on the back for me when you sent it through on Friday night to say he's done exactly what he should have done and the marketing angle was. And then there's been the bullshit this week about taking out rematches and all this. But there comes a point where Usyk is bringing three of the four belts. He shouldn't be having to crack to every demand Fury makes. And it, it feels, feels like, like he's, he's, yeah. he's almost pushing him to that point where to say enough's enough. And if that does happen, I think all boxing fans now, it's pretty transparent that Fury's trying to dodge it. Despite him training, looking like he's now calling it out. Yeah, great. You've done all that. He seems to be introducing all these extra hurdles, which is really disappointing. It feels like, as you say, agreeing to 70-30 should have been the final hurdle. That is such a ridiculous split for someone who holds unified world champion uh, or champion of the world and still agrees to, you know what, I'll take 30% because I want to be undisputed. And that should be the aim of every heavyweight champion, surely. Um, but yeah, I, I just agree. I, I think it's got to the point where any more hurdles, this is going to get called off. I've not really ever respected Tyson Fury, not since the whole thing with um, him being found guilty of taking drugs, all that sort of nonsense. And I've never really liked his conduct. I've always said that I'd want my heavyweight champion of the world to be someone that people can can look up to and admire as a, a boxer and aspire to be that. I don't see that in Tyson Fury. I've wanted him to get sparked for a long time. I don't think he will get sparked if he does fight Usyk. I think he would go to a decision, but I think he'll get beat, and that's good enough for me. Yeah, I think. I think that's a fair summary. Well, thanks very much for listening, as always. Um, make sure that you tune into UFC 286. I promise we're not sponsored by Dana White yet, but it promises to be an absolutely fantastic event. We'll speak to you next week. Mm-hmm.